This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. Most parents are surprised when their children get cavities, and that's not an unusual thing at all, given that according to the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, over 60% of children in America have a cavity by age 5. And here's where it gets confusing. The dentist always tells parents that if the kids brush their teeth long enough and they get enough fluoride and don't eat too much candy or drink any soda, that ought to be enough to prevent cavities. In fact, a lot of dentists and doctors and nutritionists, though, have children with cavities and no idea how they got there. So when cavities formed, as they inevitably do, all a dentist could say until now was that some kids just have weak teeth. But the true cause of cavities is pretty simple, and here it is. Most parents think that it's sugar that causes the cavities, but it's actually carbohydrates that are sticking to the teeth. Now, once you understand that, cavities no longer have to be an unavoidable or a given in your children's lives. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with Roger Lucas, who's a pediatric dentist who has spent a long time investigating the biochemistry of cavity formation. And what he's found is that foods with simple carbohydrates, dry cereal, crackers, dried fruit, those are the things that promote cavities, even with regular brushing and flossing. Simple carbs convert to what's called lactic acid, which wears away tooth enamel. He found that limiting processed flours and other simple carbs is the secret to achieving zero cavities. We'll start talking about how you and your children can have more chocolate and no cavities when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this from the MrDad.com radio network. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ag Council. Hey, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brod, and my guest for this part of today's show is Roger Lucas, who's the author of More Chocolate, No Cavities, How Diet Can Keep Your Kid Cavity-Free. Roger, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about teeth. Well, let's start with baby teeth, I think, which is from from reading the book. I I was horrified how little I knew about them, except that they're temporary. But you you talk a lot about how important it is to take care of them. And I think a lot of people just figure, well, they're only going to be around for a couple of years. What difference does it make if you brush them or not? Yeah, it's funny in today's Internet age when you can look up almost anything that people forget that baby teeth are important. And I think part of the reason is people only remember what they tell a story about. And when you're growing up, you tell a story about the tooth fairy and how you lose your first teeth at age six but you don't lose those back baby teeth until you're 10 to 12, Um, but there's no story attached with those. So even though you keep a lot of those teeth in your, the toddlers get for 10 years, 
you forget about them. And also, even if you had a lot of cavities, oftentimes I find kids forget about them. So you need to keep those teeth for 10 years. They help guide the adult teeth in the place. And also, I'm just I'm treating kids in pain every week. And if you talk to any pediatric dentist across the country, it's the same story. People don't realize they're important until it's too late, but they are extremely important, and kids can actually get in pain um, just from simple cavities. And so, I mean, what's the problem with it, with a baby tooth with cavities in it? I mean, if it's going to fall out, do you fill them? What, what do you do? Uh, yeah, so, of course, that's a, a complicated answer depending on many variables. For example, uh, but let's say depends on what tooth it is. But let's say the most common example, the one that happens every day across the country, those back baby molars, if you get past the enamel, that's the outer layer of the tooth, and it gets into that second layer, the second layer, which is also called dentin, is much softer. The whole reason we're worried about baby teeth, once it gets past that second layer into the third layer, if the bacteria, which that's what a cavity is, if the bacteria gets into the pulp or the nerve, that's when it causes pain or infection. And like I was, and guess what? The biggest demographic, unfortunately, of ages that get cavities happens to be preschoolers, uh, preschoolers and the elderly. And the, uh, so it's an unfortunate trend that preschooler many people aren't aware they're important. So we have a preschooler eating all the the wrong foods all day, um, even if they may be healthy or doing some habits that aren't good. And then there's already a bacterial disease that's broken through the hard shell of the enamel into that second layer and maybe right next to the pulp or sometimes even in the pulp. Um, and, and as a dentist, I'm, again, I'm not the only one. We want to pre- prevent this before it happens because I, we break the bad news to parents or the kids are already in pain, the parents feel bad, and oftentimes they didn't actually do anything wrong. It's just preventing cavities isn't intuitive, and they never thought to look it up because of that misconception that, oh, baby, baby teeth don't matter when they obviously – do matter quite a bit. I mean, how many people do you really think would look it up anyway? Exactly, especially when our false sense of memory lets us think, oh, it, was, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I mean, because especially, I mean, there's, there's so much stuff on the Internet that you can immediately discount, so it's in some ways it's it's a wonderful thing, but there's you're going to get all sorts of people who probably would say the opposite of what you're saying. Oh, well, Which is, yeah, it, 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 talk to dentists, though, and, and uh, you'll you'll hear the, the people actually do have a problem. And that's the thing is we use what's called heuristics. We use what – we take one story, we take our story, and then we try to apply that to everyone else. We think, oh, guess what? I got away with not brushing. I didn't eat good food, so I guess that worked, so that must work for everyone else. When you may not realize that maybe it was some other variable that worked – uh, and it wasn't the variable you were thinking of, or maybe you actually did, maybe you did have, like, for example, I had eight cavities when I was a child. Um, I don't remember them, but I looked it up in my, my chart notes when I was in dental school. And my other point is this, is, is uh, my wife made this argument. You know, I fix fillings all day. 90% of the time, I will admit, fixing a filling isn't a big deal, but 5 to 10, 10% of the time, it's a huge major deal. So in other words, we do a pretty good job with making kids comfortable, but there's always the kids that have too severe cavities too early or that there's too much of them. You've got a three-year-old that's um, been carrying around a uh, sippy cup of juice all day or going to bed mm-hmm. with a bottle of juice or, or, or milk throughout the night. And now they're in pain. They can't sit through at a procedure, so we have to do this uh, expensive and invasive sedation, which I ne- wish I'd never had to do because it has risk of its own. So 
So again, just anything we can do to change that misconception is, is very important. And, and that's the thing is, I am happy when parents come in and they got away with it and don't have any cavities, but I tell them, <laughs> hey, don't, don't tell other parents that, because, right. because I have to break the bad news otherwise. I don't tell, oh, it was fine because I waited till I was three, because what if you're that 5% where you get the really severe ones? And again, happens to doctors, kids, dentists, kids. It's sure. not, it's not a, it's common sense, it isn't common. Well, there's one of the arguments that I think a lot of people hear, and I, I think I have heard that from a couple of dentists about my daughter, one of my daughters who just never likes to brush her teeth. And yeah. I kept saying to her, you're going to get cavities. And she was consistently not getting cavities. And so the argument, you know, this is an example of a good thing, but you know, the, the argument from the dentist is, well, you know, some kids just have good enamel. And yeah. what you talk about in the book is that that's the case possibly for one to three percent of people that there's an enamel a good enamel or a bad enamel yeah but for the most part that argument is is not it's kind of trying to explain luck yeah so so what my argument is there's two different paradigms there's the paradigm that i was taught in dental school so this is what you'll hear from most every other dentist because we we want a paradigm to be able to explain the world especially if we're professionals we do think we're experts every day if we don't have an answer. We have to have some answer. So the paradigm, the classical paradigm is exactly what you said. Oh, I guess you didn't brush that well, so I guess it just must maybe good enamel. You lucked out. And now you have this other family that brushes all the time. Maybe they even floss, and they're getting tons of cavities. Well, I guess it's just bad enamel. So that's the old paradigm is genetic uh, model, that there's nothing you can do. The new paradigm I propose, which I think I make a very good argument with the science, uh, by reading the book, and but I can explain it briefly. And it's again, it's it's almost so much common sense, but it's not common. Is um, that uh, well, diet, the foods you put on your teeth are what's important. Um, and and one of the biggest secrets out there um, is just I didn't realize for years that just flour and in fact dried flour can cause cavities. Because again, I'm not saying it's not healthy. Um, but uh, nobody can guess. People are really bad at guessing what actually sticks to their teeth and what's not sticky, so that's part of my job is just explaining, hey, guess what? This actually is sticky. This isn't sticky, so it may not be nutrition, and in fact, if you give your kids more whole, non-processed foods, you can get away with worse brushing because there's not a bunch of gunk stuck on their teeth, and that's that's part of the secrets. Uh, my new paradigm, and, and when I've been seeing that, it's been working for the last four or five years, I have less surprised parents on both ends. And I'm not surprised when somebody tells me they don't brush that well, but they give them really healthy foods that are not processed, and, and, it, yeah. and it tends to work better. Well, how do you explain, I guess it's, it's not just me. I know that if I have a, a day where I'm eating a lot of sugary stuff, which I know I shouldn't be eating anyway, yeah. but my teeth at some point will start to feel kind of scummy. Oh, yeah. And so, so the assumption is, well, it's got to be the sugary stuff. And what you're saying is that, you, I mean, is that feeling of scumminess, is that actual stuff sticking to the teeth, or is that something else? Oh, th that's, a, that's a good point. So uh, there's actually, um, let's see. So in vitro, in a lab, you can show that bacteria, when they use sugar to make the sticky part of the plaque, um, it's called peptidoglycan is the, the microbiology of it. And in fact, the, if in a laboratory setting, and I think this would correlate well to in a human, but it's hard, harder to test humans, of course. Um, but in the vitro setting, you can repeat it over and over. If you take away all sugars with the uh, bacteria on a dish and with the 
if you take away all sugars, the very worst bacteria that makes cavities, which is called Streptococcus mutans, it can't survive. It just it can't make this sticky plaque that holds it in place, and it just falls off the plate and it disappears. Um, so, it, so you hit you hit the nail on the head. Your, your casual observation: what you're feeling is uh, is that constant sugar. The Streptococcus mutans and the other bacteria are making that sticky plaque. So it makes it the more frequent carbohydrates that you give bacteria, the stickier a plaque they can make, and it changes the whole uh, type of bacteria that's on your mouth. Whereas, let's say you, let's say you had a low-carbohydrate breakfast, for example, like let's say eggs um, and you know a piece of ham, or maybe you maybe you ate a piece of bread, but it it didn't stay stuck on for your teeth for very long, so it moved away. Your plaque's not going to be as sticky. And again, I feel the exact same thing when I go to my mother-in-law's on the holidays and there's sweets and there's the coffee with this, you know, and I'm sipping on it all day. Yeah, you can feel the change in the bacteria yourself and you pointed it out perfectly and that's actually makes sense from a microbiology standpoint. Talking with Roger Lucas, who's a dentist, a pediatric dentist, and also the author of More Chocolate, No Cavities, How Diet Can Keep Your Kid Cavity Free. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Roger. Ever notice when you have a baby, everyone seems to give you advice? From your mother-in-law, to your own parents, to your friends. But when it comes to the important stuff, like immunizations and protecting my baby's health, I trust my baby's doctor. She really listens to my questions about shots, gives me great information, and she works with me to make sure my baby gets protected. And that's something even my mother-in-law can agree with. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Dr. Roger Lucas, who's a pediatric dentist and the author of More Chocolate, No Cavities, How Diet Can Keep Your Kid Cavity-Free. want to talk about the diet part of this a little bit. You just touched on it briefly about it's not really so much sugar, it's more the carbohydrates, but give us some specifics because you're talking about being able to reduce the, the incidence of cavities by 90%. That's, that's big. Yeah, and uh, so the most important variable for what causes cavities, and most and dentists are aware of this. My point is that the application can be a, much better when you focus on the foods. But the most important variable is the frequency of carbohydrates. Um, so, in other words, a classic example is if you, uh, you know, if you you don't want to drink your milk or your juice all day long because all of a sudden milk, which is good for your teeth, turns bad for your teeth if you have a sip every 30 minutes. So just having organized meal times, eating every three hours instead of every 30 minutes is so important for your teeth. And I see way too many families every year that are giving their kid really healthy foods like fruit, milk, and they accidentally get cavities because there's no organization. So, um, of course, for toddlers, that happens far too often, but it's true for adults as well. So that's uh, step number one. But then step number two, when you look at the time, if you were to pull 10 people and you're asking them, what stays on your teeth longer, a piece of bread or just a cracker? Most people will pick the bread as stickier, but they're 10 times wrong. Um, if you actually measure it, a piece of, it doesn't matter if it's white bread or whole grain bread, it stays on your teeth for about a minute, whereas a, just a normal cracker or pretzel or cereal stays on your teeth for about 9 or 10 minutes. So if you think of the analogy like this, fresh fruit is better for your teeth than dried fruit because dried fruit is stickier, 
fresh bread is better for your teeth than dried bread because dried bread is stickier, like a cracker or a pretzel, if you switch your, to give your preschooler a piece of toast or a piece of bread instead of a cracker, you've just cut down the stickiness of the carbohydrates 10 times. So it's 10 times less sticky, but nobody, if I just told you to eat less sticky starches, everyone would get it wrong. They'd say, okay, don't eat a raisin, but they'd accidentally give their kid the wrong thing. So it, of course, uh, unfortunately, crackers are the most common snack in all of childhood. So it's hard to convince someone to say, hey, this is actually more important to eat something that's 10 times less sticky. Now, sugar still causes cavities. I don't want to be misquoted. It's just you can still give your kids sugar as long as it doesn't stay in their teeth for very long. For example, eat an apple. It has sugar. It doesn't stay in the teeth for long. Have a smoothie. Don't let them carry around a smoothie all day. Drink some water afterwards. So that's what I mean by the right sugars in a healthy setting are fine. And I even tell my parents, you're better off to have a piece of of, uh, you're better off to have a scoop of ice cream at night for your teeth instead of having goldfish crackers three times a day uh, because at least the ice cream, you're not going to carry it around. You drink some water, it rinses away. So it's counterintuitive in that sense. Of course, soda, regular candies yeah. cause cavities faster, but go ahead and if you're going to have a sweet, pick something that you eat very quickly and rinses away. Now, I think the, the goal, at least what I heard from most dentists, is to brush your teeth twice a day. So it sounds like you're talking about brush your teeth twice a day, but also do some things in between, like drinking more water to slosh things around to to loosen yeah. up some of the stickiness. Is that it? Yeah. And now, of course, I'm focused I'm, as a pediatrist. I focus on parents with really small children. So my philosophy, especially for three and under, is just get in there and brush once a day. If you can do twice, great. But don't feel guilty if you can only do once. Um, but the, what's way more important is the foods you give them. If you, all the doctors' kids, dentists' kids that used to be getting cavities in my practice that I didn't know from, uh, think about this: if you give your kid something that's ten times that stays on the teeth for ten minutes, you should probably go brush after that meal. But if you want to be lazy like me, I give my kid a piece of an apple, a piece of cheese for a snack. There's nothing to brush afterwards because you also sometimes hear, oh, maybe you should brush after a meal, right? But so my point is, don't worry about brushing after the meals if you give your kid food that you know is not going to stay stuck to their teeth. But again, it's not intuitive. Just But the, the fresh, especially crunchy fruit, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, drinking water afterwards. And um, yeah, but don't, a one-year-old, you don't need to brush for two minutes twice a day. I've just got to be completely honest with you, right? So you work your way up to two minutes twice a day by the time right. you have a six- or a seven-year-old. But you start off with, with 10 seconds with a one-year-old, but at least you still need to do that brushing you know, once every 24 hours. Sure. And up, so. Well, I'm trying to, trying to apply these lessons to kids who are a little bit older as well. Yeah. And so what, talk about fluoride a little bit, because that's, uh, in, in some ways, it's getting to be a controversial thing these days. I mean, there, it's, it's added to water in many, many places. But some people are saying, well, too much fluoride is not good for you. And dentists are routinely suggesting fluoride treatments for kids. Yeah, you, so that, well, <laughs> yeah, that's a... Of course, uh, not a very easy subject to talk about, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. So my view on fluoride is there's study after study show that fluoride can help reduce cavities by about 20, maybe 20 to 40%, depending on which route. Now, of course, there's different types of fluorides. There's topical versus systemic. Topical is the ty- type that goes on your teeth, but you're not really intended to swallow it. And systemic is what you swallow, and it's supposed to be incorporated into your teeth. Now, I do believe the evidence... Uh, uh, swings more towards 
the topical effect of fluoride is what helps your teeth make it stronger. Um, so that's the question: Is fluoridated water is that making your teeth stronger because you're 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 drinking it and it's passing over your teeth, you're swallowing it? And I would say it's more of the over the teeth. And now I would argue that there is, let's say, I'm, and I'm going to make up numbers here, but I'd say there's maybe 10% of the population that is really, and again, this would be especially the population that would benefit from looking at the, the you know, a book on diet and how to prevent cavities, how not to accidentally mess it up. That 10% is really not eating a lot of processed food. They're not going to, they can set healthy limits. They can drink water. They're not going to let their kid drink juice all day. Not, not even give them a lot of processed flour like crackers or goldfish crackers. They probably don't need that extra 20 to 40% protection from fluoride. I know that sounds sacrilegious, but if you're a normal American family and you give your kid some sugars, you give them processed flour, you, you may need that extra 20 to 30%. Now, of course, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. And there's also, there's kind of two, um, but yeah, that's my point is, you, it, you may be the family, the fluoride in the tap water may not be for you if you're really focusing on everything else. And I say, go ahead, go ahead. But I have an alternative view because I think diet's more important than right. fluoride, but I still exactly. use fluoride for my kids, right? Yeah. Um, but I know my kids get away with stuff. My kids also do have that 3% with weak enamel. They have bad genetics. I had eight cavities when I was a kid. My wife had eight cavities when they were a kid. And I, and I, I, I also I use this, the n- normal sodium fluoride, it's just the normal elemental stuff from sure. the atomic yeah. tape. So it's not, yeah, it's not any of the extra stuff. So, but I do know families that get away with it, but I also know families that don't. Right. You have to really understand the process of cavities because there's many ways where you can accidentally yeah. screw it up, even if you're trying. So I want to ask you something that really I think I'm asking more from the point of view of, of me, the adult. Okay. But what about chewing gum with uh, xylitol in particular? It's an ingredient some dentist pointed out to me at one point is supposed to be very good for you. And which gums and how does xylitol work and is it a is it a teeth brushing replacement or what's the deal? Well, again, I have I have an alternative lazy view. I, I kind of call it biohacking or life hacking. But now it depends on what the food you eat. If you eat something that's very sticky and processed and starchy, in other words, pretzel or a cracker or a potato chip, you probably want to brush and maybe even floss after the meal. But if you're eating something that's high in fat, that's low carb, or it's uh, not processed, like an apple, broccoli, uh, meat, you know, jerky, you don't have to brush after that according to my biohacking view, which kind of makes sense, right? If you don't have a sticky starch, nothing brush. And the gum, I chew that every day after, you know, uh, well, I don't brush at work. I just chew xylitol gum. Uh, after a meal for about 10 seconds, it freshens my breath. And there have been studies that show that chewing a sugar-free gum after meals uh, may reduce the incidence of cavities. There's two, even if it's not xylitol, just the sugar-free gum gets your saliva flowing, and saliva is one of the defensive factors against cavities. Now, xylitol, like you said, there's been a lot of studies that show that xylitol interfere, may interfere with the bacteria. We're not, uh, we're not sure, sure with the exact mechanism, but if you have a certain amount of xylitol each day, that may actually also lower the risk of cavities whether it's with gum or not. So 100% xylitol gum is one a really natural way after meals if you want to not brush your teeth. Again, I'm, I know I sound crazy, but that's what I do after meals when I'm at, at work. When I'm at home, I, I brush my teeth because it's easy. Um, and xylitol is derived from the tree sap from a birch tree originally in Finland. It's a sugar <laughs> alcohol. It's okay. not low calorie, but it doesn't spike your blood sugar as much. And um, it also, yeah, you can't get cavities from well, it. Well, there's not a lot of calories in it anyway, even if it is, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, it's a piece of gum, for goodness sake. It's not a, a 36-ounce big gulp or something. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Roger Lucas, the author of More Chocolate, No Cavities, How Diet Can Keep Your Kid Cavity-Free. And is there a website people can learn more yeah. about? Yeah, thedentistdad.com. Um, yeah, you can email me, ask any questions, or I can talk to your dentist. I'd love to help anyway I can. Terrific. Roger, thank you. All right, thank you very much. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brought. Just a couple of weeks ago, we did a segment on distracted driving, got a lot of responses from listeners, and here's one of them. Dear Mr. Dad, a few weeks ago, you had an email from a 13-year-old whose mother talks on the phone while driving. You should have told the child to rat her mother out to the cops. The mother is endangering her own life, her daughter's life, and innocent bystanders' and drivers' lives. The 13-year-old should send a note to the cops saying that her mother constantly talks and texts while driving and give them her license plate, description of the car, and where she frequently drives. That mother needs a ticket. Well, as a rule, I think kids should talk to their parents before they rat them out. But since the girl already tried talking, you and a lot of other listeners and readers who wrote in with similar suggestions are absolutely right. The mother and anyone else who texts or talks on the phone while driving needs a wake-up call. Better an expensive ticket than a tragic car crash. I also heard from drivers and the children of those drivers wondering whether listening to the radio or audiobooks is a problem. The short answer is yes, but it's nowhere near as bad as texting or talking. Researchers at the AAA Foundation and Virginia Tech rate mental driving distractions on a scale ranging from 1, mild distraction, to 5, which is maximum distraction. University of Utah researchers David Strayer and Joel Cooper rate listening to the radio as a 1.2 and listening to a book on tape as 1.7. That's pretty low. Compare that to hands-free cell phone calls at 2.3 and handheld calls at 2.5. Sending a text on a perfect voice-activated error-free system, which is really not existing, is a 3, while updating social media while driving is a 4. And the extreme, reading a scientific text while driving, which not a lot of people are going to do, is a 5. Unfortunately, the fact that a lot of speech-to-text systems are built into cars these days gives people the impression that it's safe to text or go through emails while driving. It's not. In fact, the most distracting built-in hands-free systems were rated at a 4.6 and leave drivers distracted for as long as 27 seconds after they complete a task. At 25 miles an hour, that's a distance of three football fields of potentially missing stop signs and pedestrians. The best hands-free systems were better, a 2.4 rating, but still left drivers distracted for more than 15 seconds. Phone-based voice-activated systems weren't very much better. Google Now was the best with a distraction rating of 3.0, followed by Apple's Siri at 3.4 and Microsoft's Cortana at 3.8. So what can we, the adults, as well as the children, do to combat distracted driving? 
Well, here are a few important steps. Now, I'm going to give the names of a bunch of organizations and websites. You'll be able to find links to them and a lot more at a page we set up on our website, mrdad.com slash distracted-driving-resources. One of the first steps to take is to go to the National Safety Council's website and sign up for their Take Back Your Drive pledge. You'll be able to commit to never driving distracted in any way, whether that's a phone call, a text, social media updates, or anything else. You can make a similar pledge at a U.S. government site, distraction.gov. You can also install an anti-distracted driving app. Lifesaver is an excellent one, and it's got a parent portal and strong education components as well. There are plenty of other ones out there, too. Do more research. In addition to the National Safety Council and Distraction.gov, the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety has great information and resources. Educate others. Impact Teen Drivers is a great organization, and it provides free workshops to schools and community groups all around the country. Change your vocabulary. The word accident makes car versus car or car versus pedestrian sound minor. The word crash is more accurate. We'll be back next week with another Ask Mr. Dad segment or a Parents at Play segment. In the meantime, please visit our website, mrdad.com, where you can get all sorts of other uh, columns and segments on parenting and pretty much anything you'd want to know about parenting. And if you've got a suggestion on anything at all, particularly something having to do with distracted driving, drop us a line through the website also. That's, again, mrdad.com. But don't do that right now because there's a lot more positive parenting coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Hi, it's Practical Polly's radio show. If you're just figuring out that healthier cooking oils are better than solid fats, you may be asking, now what am I going to do with all these tubs of lard? Ever had one of those moments when your favorite skinny jeans feel too tightly tailored? (laughs) Generously apply lard to your hips and thighs and those fancy pants will slide on like a dream. Or here's a family-friendly idea. How about making your yard into a lard fun park? Frost your driveway with a nice thick coating and give those kiddos a downhill thrill no matter what time of year. Having a bad hair day? Yep. A little lump of lard can tame your flyaways in a jiffy. So there's no need for that lard to go to waste or to your waste. But get your best heart-healthy trade-up with healthier oils like canola, olive, or other vegetable oils, which can actually lower your chances for heart disease. Now that's a tip worth keeping for life. Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info is the national supporter of the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. Get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. This is Positive Parenting, and I'm Armin Brott. In 1996, when Mae Vu left the corporate world at the age of 31, she wanted to find fulfillment. Up till that point, she was working and climbing the corporate ladder as an engineer, and that had helped satisfy most of her basic needs, safety and security, a monthly direct deposit, and a health care plan. It afforded her the opportunity to buy a house, to get married, give birth to a child. But she was not fully satisfied. Something was missing. And while she didn't know it then, she was being directed from within to reach for more satisfaction and more fulfillment. A week before she left her job, May received a fax from a girlfriend. 
It was a brochure on life coaching, and she'd scribbled next to it, I think this is for you. Sight unseen, without any research, she signed up for the first course, and from there, her life completely changed. She knew she was on the right path, and for the next decade, she dedicated her life to becoming the best coach in the world. And a lot of people would say that she's accomplished that goal. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with Mei Vu about her new book, which is aimed at divorced moms and getting them back into the dating life. But more important, it's about how these women can identify what's missing in their lives and, more importantly, go out and get it. We'll start talking about how you can learn to be loved, adored, and cherished when Positive Parenting continues right after this. Bullying is not kids being kids. It's not about good homes or bad homes. It's not a normal part of growing up. I shouldn't be afraid to get on the school bus. To turn on my computer. Message from lock to my locker. Did you know that a bully will stop his or her behavior in 10 seconds when their peers speak up? Use your voice. Hey, leave him alone. We have the power to stop bullying. Find out more at bullying.org. Where you're not alone. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. My guest for this part of today's show is Mae Vu, who's the author of The Divorced Mom's Guide to Dating, How to Be Loved, Adored, and Cherished. Mae, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So a lot of people would say it's enough to be loved, but so you're adding adored and cherished, or you could just say pick one, oh, and, and people would be happy. What uh, a so great place how, to how start. Do you, how do you get to all of those places? You know, I was... I was like what you just said. When I was married, I was satisfied with just being loved. And then what I learned over 18 years of marriage is that being loved alone left us bored with each other, left us really staled. There's no passion left. And we both loved each other dearly, but somehow the spark is gone. But when you have the adore the adored part and the cherished part, it makes it so much yummier and more <laughs> passionate and fun to okay. be with each other. So, yeah, I think you need to define those things because I think all, in addition to saying, you know, I'm so, I was just sort of kidding about pick one, but I yeah. think people would say, well, what's the difference exactly? Yeah. Um, well, I think you have to define your own difference, but for me, when I, what I notice is when I love my, say, my current boyfriend, when I love him, that's a different sensation than when I adore him. Like when I look at him and I go, I adore you. That There's a different quality to that. There's a different softness and spark to it. And it, it does, it, it creates a different tingle in him. And then I say, I cherish you. There's a reverence to that. So there's a, a, a slight quality. You know, like how Eskimos have 300 words for, for snow, right? Well, that's what I heard Something anyway. like that, yeah, yeah. supposedly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think, I think we need to pull out love and really have more specific vocabulary to how we feel and what it brings into us so that it adds more sparks and more, more yumminess into our relationship. So th- there's a, a difference between that and I'm hot for you kind of a thing or I want to have sex with you. Yeah. I mean, th- those are, are also slicing it a little bit thinner, but they're, they're variations on the same or a similar theme. I don't say the same, but th- there, there's some overlap. 
Yeah, and I'm hot for you. is is beautiful. It's fun, and it's more physical. And I adore you. I look at you, and I adore you. You feel differently. Like right now, since I get to be in a studio with you, I can look at you, and if you let me, you know, like. I mean, I adore you. It's a different quality than <laughs> hi. You know, you <laughs> look at you even giggling. <laughs> so we just met. That yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seems a little soon for a door. But yeah, but yeah. but I right. think that's what what will brings uh, bring out the fun in us and 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 the the lightness and and the depth that that we're all hungry for. Okay, well, so we're going to get into that further. You're going to have to convince me just a little bit okay. more, but we have time. So. We were going to loop this in, of course, to the title of the book about the Divorced Mom's Guide to Dating. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is that a lot of women who go through a divorce yeah. don't feel, as you did, you only felt one of the three things. Yeah. They don't feel enough. There's something missing. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is you're taking us on a journey. You're taking them more, I guess, on a journey. But it's good for me as a divorced guy to understand this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what it is that they need to do to recapture these things or to ensure that they get it in their next relationship, right? Yeah. So most women that I know and have worked with, and I've been doing this for 20 years now, <laughs> they are very practical when it comes to love and dating again. Either they're very practical or un- unrealistic romantic. So uh, let me talk about the practical part. You know, most women tend to uh, look at dating as, oh my gosh, it's another thing for me to do. I need a man like I need a hole in my head. I have so many responsibilities and I have my kids and my bills and all that stuff. So it's not, they look at it like a chore, like hard work. And then when they have a man's attention, then, then they worry about, oh my gosh, I, I better work really hard to keep his attention or else he's going to be bored with me or he won't like me or, you know. So there's a lot of stress and a lot of insecurities that comes with with dating for women. Mm-hmm. And then and at best they go for, you know, if I could just get him to love me and commit to me, then it's all good. But it's so much more than that. We for divorced moms anyway, we already been there, done that. We <laughs> we worked really hard on a marriage and and we invested so much and yet it fell apart on us. So to go at it again from that perspective is a waste of time. I think you're missing out on something. So when for me personally when I was dating again, I wanted more than that. I want more than just a solid relationship with a man because I already had that, and yet it ran, it ran into the ground. So what does it take to bring in the adoration and the cherish? I don't know what the, the noun for that is, the cherishment or whatever that noun is, um, to, so that you can have a higher quality of mm-hmm. intimacy and love with each other. Okay. All right, so you break this down into what you call three Ps. Yeah. Tell, tell us about those. Yes. So every woman have three parts inside us. We have the peasant part of ourselves, which is the physical everyday woman. She loves very practically. She works hard. She takes care of her children. She pays a bill. She, you know, uh, look in the mirror and thinks, oh, God, I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too ugly. I'm not good enough. That's how she approaches love and dating from that place. There's the other two parts two P's inside us that are so much more powerful and we're out of touch with them. So the second piece that you really get to know, need to know her is your princess self. This is a part of you that really knows your birthright, your birthright to be loved, to be loved and adored. And when this requires you to reclaim your self-worth, your sense of knowing who you are, and for a man to know that a woman needs to find her princess self, that's a very powerful thing also. Because when a man knows that and is actively 
being a king in her life so that she can show up as a princess, it makes the relationship really fun and juicy. But when a man is also stuck in his peasant mode, you know, hard work, counting the dollars and blah, 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 it's now you have two peasants in relationship to each other. Mm. It's very okay. boring. Okay. All right, so we'll, we'll come to the priestess part in just yep. a few minutes. But So about the peasant part. Yeah. So what is it that you need to get in touch with there? I mean, how do, how do you tell somebody, okay, this is what you need to focus on? The what peasant, does that look like? The peasant part of us is always so hungry, tired, exhausted, overwhelmed, and and is limited in her thinking. She's in fear mode all the time, most of the time, and she has to work so hard. So to be in touch with your peasant, you have to recognize that in yourself and have some compassion for her and know how to love her. We hear this all the time. you got to love yourself, but we don't know how to do that. Loving yourself is that place of loving this peasant woman who puts everything on the line for everyone else except mm -hmm. for herself. And how do you yourself listen to that part of you and give her some tenderness and some love and recognition? I'm just curious about this. And, and I know this comes up in, in so many areas of my life. I look at it and I hear people talking about the things that they need and things that they should get in life. How much of this falls on the woman herself that it's not just a question of accepting yourself for who you are. Maybe you need to make a few changes. Absolutely. When you start to listen to your own peasant's pain, that in itself makes a lot of change because the pain creates wounding inside and the wounding creates neediness outside. So why we're so needy for love and attention and craving for a man's attention is because we're hurt inside. So when we pay attention to ourselves, we fill ourselves up. And when we fill ourselves up, we, don't, we change our behavior. We don't have to be so needy when it comes to relationship. And when relationship is funny, when you don't need it, it'll show up. But when you need <laughs> it, it will just run away from you. Do we actually need relationships, you think? I think it's depend on, on the people. I know for myself, I was, I got to a point where I was perfectly fine being a single mom with my daughter, but I was fine. I was content, but I wasn't happy. When I brought in my, what I call ideal companion, He's here in the studio with us, you know. Like, when I brought him into my life, my life just went to the next level of joy and bliss that I never knew that I could have. And my finance gets better. Both our finance get better. It's, it's like there's an energetic multiplication that happens where, where when we come to, we're great by ourselves, we're solid by ourselves, but when we come together, there's a heightened level of love, joy, and, and abundance that we could have. Talking with Mei Vu, who's the author of The Divorced Mom's Guide to Dating, How to Be Loved, Adored, and Cherished. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Mei. We want to get into a little bit more about the peasant. We want to talk about the princess. And then, of course, the priestess part, which is, is where it all comes together. And then, of course, putting this all together into a, a dating program. I'm Armand Brott. You're listening to Positive Parenting. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to casafamilyday.org. 
take the Family Day Pledge and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Mae Vu, who's the author of The Divorced Mom's Guide to Dating, How to Be Loved, Adored, and Cherished. Mae, so let's talk. Uh, was, there, was there more about the, the peasant that we, we need to talk about before moving on? Because it, I want to make sure that we're, we've got a good grip on that. Yeah, the peasant is a tricky one. Most of the work is in the peasant, actually, because we want to abandon her to move quickly to the princess or the priestess because that's much more fun and powerful. But actually, you need your peasant. Without her, dishes don't get done, children don't get raised, <laughs> nothing happens in, in the world. You know, business don't get built. So you need to love your peasant, heal her, and bring her along and integrate her with your, your princess and your priestess. Okay, and I see so your your uh, sweetheart Keith is is nodding as <laughs> so this sounds familiar or good. Okay, um, so let's talk about the the princess, which I, I'm you know I'm guessing yeah. I read this a little bit, but I, I'm I'm guessing you know that that's more about the pampering yourself. Yeah, at the lightweight level, it is about pampering yourself, okay. but deep down inside, the princess part of us is very gracious. She's gracious and generous to ourselves and to others. So. So princesses don't just live in in spas, you know. <laughs> Most people think, oh, I'm going on a spa date and have my nails done. That's being a princess. That's lightweight to me. Okay. A princess is really is how do you find grace and harmony and joy and generosity in any situation? How do you, you know, life can be really busy and all that stuff, and yet you can still find that grace and that trust that you are loved and you are cared for and that you're whole and you're enough. And from that sense of knowing, you will turn everything around. So that's how a true princess works. And if you think about the old days, you know, princesses, even though they live in castles and all that stuff, that archetype, they were stuck in a very disempowered position. They don't have positional throne. You know, they're being pawned off between kings and kingdoms and all that stuff. And all, all a princess had was her beauty, her grace, and, and her sense of self. And, and she has to maneuver through very difficult political situations and keep her head, you know. So mm-hmm. so I think there's a, a, a part of that inside us that is very gentle and loving toward ourselves, and how do we treat ourselves with that kind of grace. Now, do you consider this to be a progression, that you have to do all of your peasant work before you can move on to the princess, or are, are you working on all these things and being aware of all these things at the same time and kind of working in different uh, different directions? Because it seems like it's really hard to just, you know, okay, I'm going to do this, and then that's it, and then we're going to go on to the next one. Yeah, I do take my clients to a progression of first we have to stop everything. Like if you're dating and hurting yourself, please stop dating, and let's <laughs> let's tend to your peasant self. Let's listen to her. Let me teach you how to listen to her and how to tend to her needs first. And when you can start to love and accept yourself all of your ugly parts, what you consider uh, ugly, then, you know, it will open up naturally and your princess grace will come out. And then suddenly you'll notice, oh, 
now I'm ready for my power, which is your priestess part. The priestess is very powerful, and you need her in all your part of your life, dating, work, or, and raising children. If you don't have your priestess part, you'll be walked all over the place. Okay, got to explain that. Yeah. So how, how does that work? Why, why would the, that involve more being walked on? Yeah, so the priestess part of ourself is the part of us that holds our power, our freedom, and our clarity. She has wisdom from like lifetimes ago, and she has vision of where life, humanity, and you should be. That's why you're here. Every one of us is on this planet for a purpose. It's not so that we can work hard, raise children, and pay the bills. We have a contribution. So your priestess part holds that. And when you're in touch with her, she will guide you on what to say yes to and to say no to and to move your life forward in a powerful way instead of in a way that most women find themselves in, in, in victim land, you know, walking on eggshells or being a doormat to other people. Okay. So, again, I want to get back to this taking personal responsibility part yeah. of this. You're, so you're looking at what's going on within but that also is going to involve assessing other people differently, right? I mean, because you, you may have, I mean, so many of us probably have, have looked back at relationships and said, boy, I keep doing the same thing yeah. over and over and over again. That's kind of where I am right now. It's safer for everybody if I don't <laughs> just <laughs> don't do the same thing again. But and you say, well, okay, so what is it about the people that I tend to be attracted to mm-hmm. that is not working and I want to avoid that. And so what part of you does that kind of thing play into? Yeah, that happens quite often from for most women. I mean, me included, actually. Like, my ex-husband was really kind and gentle and honest, but he was very flatline and didn't have much power to him. And then eight years later, you know, I met my my current boyfriend, Keith, and, and it, he was showing sign like the same way. I'm like, oh my God. And I literally said to him, I can't date you anymore because you starting to look and sound like my ex-husband. But I realized that, oh my gosh, it really doesn't matter who he is. It's how I am and how I cultivate that relationship with him. And so when I learn that and how I interact with him, then I see that I can I have the power to cut him down to be another peasant like my ex-husband did, or I have a power to help him step into his king so that he can be really powerful in my mm-hmm. life and love and support me as I love and support him. And now that we know that and we know th- these three Ps at work, we actively and have a lot of fun playing with, with the three Ps so that we can keep keep giving to each other. You know, there's this old stereotype that men get into a relationship hoping that the wife will Stay, stay the same, the same <laughs> and she changes, and then women are getting it, hoping that she'll, you know, she'll be able to change him. Yeah. It sounds like you're trying to change someone. Is that what you're doing? And, and then, if if it is, are, are you? Do you feel that that's a safe thing to do? You can't change anyone. You can only change yourself. When I say cultivate, I mean cultivate myself. How I show up with my partner will will have the result whether he's going to become a pez- a dead peasant man who hand over all the decision to me or he's going to be a powerful king in my life that he's going to help me guide and and lead our life forward so it's not him it's me so i can be a really hardcore peasant woman that you know get mad or stomp or or guilt him and all that stuff or i could show up and find my grace and and generosity and find what I want and speak what I want in a gentle way that guides us forward. 
it's 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 me how how can how do i find that princess and the priestess part of me to move us forward can you give us a little bit of a case study of yeah. somebody that you've worked with from from beginning to end just to, you know, how how we can see a little bit how this develops yeah um I, I won't use her name, um, but I was just at her house yesterday for dinner, and she was sharing her, her experience about how when she first met me four year four months ago, she almost she really literally wanted to kill her children, wanted to kill her husband, and wanted wow. to kill herself because she was so fed up, angry, and tired, and she had said everything that she wanted way too many times and they're not listening to her and she was so angry and she's just like a volcano that exploded every moment um, in in their family and after four months she's now looking her husband and her are now taking selfies with each other and posting on facebook of like hey here's my hot man hey here's my my lover boy like words that she never used before to describe her her husband and they're they're on their way to mending their relationship and learning to to heal the pain that ripped my relationship apart and so many other relationships apart how did she do that though well, what, what sorts of changes did she make First, we had to tend to her peasant. We have to. I had to show her how to really listen to her peasant and see how angry she really was, and create a space that was safe for her to really voice all of her honesty. And when all of that came out, see, most of the time we judge how we feel about the relationship, and we should ourselves to be better so that we can create something better. And all these woo-woo self-help stuff are, are actually have done us a damage because we use it to suppress ourselves more rather than really make peace with ourselves. So I help her make peace with her anger and her upset and help her even voice it to him in a in a really raw way and know that it's okay. And then the two of them learn to to communicate again and to move forward. But it all starts with loving that peasant woman. And when you love her enough, she will soften up and she will allow the princess and the priestess to come out. Are you working with him as well? Not yet. I don't have to, actually. I just need to work with her. We women are the inspiration for the relationship. We're not the one who holds all the responsibility, and we can't fix it if a guy is entrenched in his pain and he won't budge. But what I've seen is that most men, especially most husbands or men who are serious about dating and being in relationship, they want to. They want to. But they need to. they need to be shown... And not, not be told what to do, but the woman has to be the inspiration for them to aspire to. Talking with Mei Vu, who is the author of The Divorced Mom's Guide to Dating, How to Be Loved, Adored, and Cherished. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.